Yo, 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 yo. Welcome, everybody, to Reasonable Wrestling. This is Chris the Most High. And here, me and CT are bringing to you um, our interview we did with Alex Greenfield. Um, you can follow him at Alex D. Greenfield on Twitter. He's a writer, editor, producer for MLW. So here it is. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Hey, how's hey. it going, boss? It's going good, man. Oh, hold on. Let me find, let me locate you. This is the button I got to press? Oh, no, he has to press it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Can you see me? Oh, oh, do you take video? I need to. Okay. Yeah. Normally, I do them. Um, normally, I do them on uh, on uh, just audio only. You don't want to look at me, but uh, oh, there you go. Hey, man. What's hey, going how's on? Going, how's it going? What's going on? Good. I just just wanted to see you for a little bit, man. No, no, no. I understand. I'm I'm jealous of what you're smoking because I'm <laughs> like I'm here in the People's Republic of Vermont and I'm dry as a bone. It's brutal. <laughs> oh. Thank you for doing this interview. Appreciate it. Oh no, no problem at all. No problem at all. Chris is Chris is my guy, man. On production days, he saves my ass all the time. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a man. How you um? How you doing, man? How's your week? Uh, really good. Like like uh, I put I put it up on my Facebook the other day. I've been broke as shit all summer long, and then I booked well, didn't book, but got the money in from four different gigs this week. So I'm like, That's oh awesome. thank God, I can buy groceries and pay my mortgage. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh man, that's good. That's good, to, man. Um, what is um, what's the weather like, dude? I oh. live in the coolest place on earth. The weather Ooh. is perfect. Wow, that is that's a, a great view. view, Alex. Oh my god, right? That's yeah. I, so the cool thing is here. I'll show you the. Um, so I live at a condo complex at Mount, basically at the Mount Snow Ski Resort, right? But what that means is, while it's a little busy in the winter, let me show you the parking lot of the giant uh, uh, buildings that I live in. Oh, so that's nothing but snow. No, no, no. Oh, well, no, no. it's not snow now. No. Right now what it is is it's an empty parking lot because basically my wife and I and um, there's like one other person who lives here full time. So it's sort of like you get to live at a resort and for most of the summer and fall and spring, nobody's here. It's just – like whenever snow starts, you know, around Thanksgiving time mm-hmm. through, oh, God, I don't even know, through um, like March, beginning of March. Okay. It's real busy. Like that parking lot is jam packed and full. Mm-hmm. But this time of year, man, we live. It's almost like you're in The Shining. We live in a ghost town. <laughs> it's incredible. Do you like walk the hills? Like because that's a beautiful view. Like the, the hills, you, you can go and just. Yep, yep. We, we 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 hike them all the time. Okay. Um, there's on the other side of that mountain that I was showing you. There's this giant pond with like beavers in it and oh. like woodchucks walking around and stuff. It's like you're living in the wilderness. It's great. Like we'll go mountain biking up there. I it's found super- my I found my new place to visit. Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Come on up. Come how on far up. is it from um, civilization? How far are you from like the city or whatnot? Oh, yeah. or, um, oh, that's that's where it gets hairy. So when I fly down to do like the Florida trips or whatever, um, it's almost like driving to New York. It's, I'm like two hours from the closest airport. Like oh, I live in the wow. middle of nowhere. Okay. Um, like the closest big town, and by big town, I'm not even talking about like Orlando or like a town like. Northampton or Brattleboro, Vermont, I guess is the closest, and it's like half hour drive away. Like we got to go half half hour to go grocery shopping and shit oh, like that. That's, that's, what, I was, that's okay. what I was asking. I was like, I know places like that because I'm from Rockland County, and the more north you go in New York, the farther you get from like grocery stores, the farther you get from the malls, it, yep. it, it gets tough. You know, I was two hours away from the city, so I mean. We ha- we still had some things around us, but you know, just to get work and doing things in the city yeah. was was a hassle. 
Yeah. No, it was it, it was a pain. We lived uh, when we lived in New York. We lived in Larchmont down in Westchester. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so we used to take vacations up there because Rockland is like where that um, where the Storm King the. Um, the uh like the big outdoor art exhibit is okay. so we would drive up that way pretty pretty frequently and it, like it's beautiful country up there but yeah it's out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. there's nothing around yeah so i was in stony point like the last town up in in rockland county and we were out like everybody said you're living west but fuck you are completely out of the city because whenever i was working in the city i had to take a bus two hours into the city to do film work to do anything yeah. i want to do with people yeah Oh, or do you not have a Metro North line up that far either? No, there's no, there's no train, and there was only a bus, and the bus came like every like hour. Oh, wow, it was Jeez. not. It was really, it was really tough to get into the actual city. So I actually had to move into Harlem so I can actually do things with film. It was a uh, really tough. So, yeah. yeah. Oh no, no, I, yeah. I believe it. I worked a, uh, a gig down in Harlem, like right, right, right near 125th when uh, when I lived down there, and even then, like you have to take the train down to. I took the Metro North down to 125th, and then the subway down like three stops, and that's still that's a 45 minute commute like yeah. every day just yeah. to go just to get down there, and I yeah. wasn't that far away at all. Yeah, just even in the city, it's it's crazy. <laughs> it's traffic. It's crazy. And when did you go down to Florida? I moved down to come to Full Sail, but I didn't actually attend. I uh, started working with some other things down here, and I started doing some education because I used to work with education in New York. So I work with education down here, and now I just left that job, and I'm working from sales right now. Um, nice. But um, I'm still, I'm, we're still doing a project, you know, web, a, a web series that we're trying to put together. Yeah, as nice. well, yeah, and as well as a podcast and other projects that we're trying to work on solely, independently. Yeah, we're uh, we're um, we're. Um we're aspiring writers, so yeah. that's how. That's why I I'm, was like, I'm just heading inside because whatever that loud noise is is fucking brutal. <laughs> oh, you hear it? Okay. Um, yeah. So um, we're aspiring writers. That's why I said. That's why I wanted to actually interview you because of um, your right. Like you write. You're a writer. You know what I mean. So we wanted to kind of pick your brain. Uh, sometimes yeah, we get good. we get into our like writer's block, or we mm-hmm. kind of our direction. We Forgot what we were oh, trying dude, to go. I just got over like a five months writer's block. So <laughs> I, so yeah. Like all I was doing was the wrestling stuff and not mm-hmm. any writing. And then all of these gigs came in and now I'm like, oh, shit, I, I have jobs to do. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, uh, let's go ahead and kick off the interview. And um, our first question is to you is how did you start writing? How does how did writing become your expressive art form that that you got into? I'm uh, like for a lot of people in my generation, I'm 45. So sort of right in the middle of generation X, uh, it started like, I bet anyone you interview in my generation will talk to you about star Wars. Um, I saw it when I was, it's one of my first memories. I was like four years old and, uh, I just like my memory kind of clicks in um, when Luke is staring into the twin sunsets in Tatooine. And I was like, like the emotional fucking power of that scene. I knew like right at the beginning that that's what I wanted to do with my life in some way. I didn't know whether I wanted to be a director or a writer or what the thing was, but I knew I wanted to make movies and I knew I wanted to make entertainment because just like the, the reaction that you felt in the room was just so stunning and powerful and amazing. Um, so I knew I was going to do something with it. And how did I gravitate to writing uh, as opposed to something else? I guess 
um, my dad wrote a lot when I was growing up mm-hmm. and, um, uh, I fell in love with Stephen King at a pretty early age. Okay. And, uh, I see you tweet you know, a picture of that earlier. The, the yeah, 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 yeah. The thing I said to, to MJF. Yeah. Um, and, and he was like, what does this mean? Um, <laughs> but, um, I don't know, man. I just, uh, like of the disciplines, like the sad truth is it comes kind of easy for me. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> I'm, 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 I'm taking your smoke. I don't know. <laughs> um, it was pretty easy for me to, to start sculpting in words. I'd never had, I tried, I tried to take up music. I fucking dropped out of high school and played in rock bands for a few years and I wasn't yeah. very good at it. Um, I directed one project pretty early in my career and hated doing it. Like, it's funny that that's mostly what I do. That's what you do at MLW. At MLW. But it's a different thing. Doing a feature – I mean you guys know this working in the business. Mm-hmm. Like when you when you are the director and you're in the big chair on a feature and like – mine was pretty small. But you know 45 people depending on your every decision. I was like that's yeah, too much pressure. Tough, like that. pressure. Let me write the scripts and pass this off to somebody else. That's, that's better. And look, I've been fucking lucky, man. I haven't worked a real job since 2004. Like like a job where you have to get up yeah. and go into an office and and that sort of like yeah we we're trying to yeah that's definitely exactly. what we, right? we have the, you know the having that spirit of just not going to work and just creating something new is what we both have and I see that you know that you haven't done that so like we're trying to achieve we're trying that to emulate dream, that dream yeah. Because it's like when it's clicking and look, I mean, you know, Chris knows from working with me and, and, you know, we've all worked in the business. Like there are all of these stressful moments and all of that, but, but when you're out of them and you take this little perspective, like what we get to do with our lives is we're fucking entertaining people. Mm -hmm. So like the stakes are like, it seems crazy on the day, but the stakes are freaking low. Um, because what we're doing is we're bringing joy to people's lives. Like mm-hmm. even if we're writing us, you know, I like writing horror movies. It's sort of my home genre. That's, that's um, great because that's the next question. That was the next question. Yeah, was what's your favorite genre? Yeah, I was about to ask what's your favorite genre, so go ahead. Oh, horror, horror, no, hands down, no question at all. Because the immediacy, when you write a jumper and <laughs> a jump scare um, and you're sitting in an audience with people and you see them fucking scream – um, there's no better feeling in the world, and and the immediacy of of the power that you have yeah. when you're scaring people is how do just you know? Like writing a jump scare, how do you know that's gonna work? Like writing a jump scare out because that's like it's so visual, you know. Like how do you how, how can you see it? You can uh, see well, it in you your head. You have a good director is one thing. Uh-huh. Oh, God, like. I feel all ape from Stephen King is always it's it's sort of the how why how do you write what you write. I don't know. The guys in the attic just, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like when it's working and, and like when writing's working for me, it's better than getting high. It's better than, uh, I've done a whole lot of drugs over the yeah. course of my life. I know, and, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that way when I wrote, actually when, um, I'm doing this, this fan fiction of Bray Wyatt and, <laughs> like, and, uh, but doing a deep dive into like connecting the dots and like, Connecting Kevin Sullivan with uh, Black Jack Mulligan and having uh, Dan Spivey turn be corrupted by Kevin Sullivan and be uh, Waylon Mercy and then have yeah, yeah, Bray yeah. Wyatt be a prodigal son of a cult. Like it's really fun conducting and 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 translating that because you're visually seeing it as you're writing. Um, yep. 
is it's it's sort of there's that moment when you're really really into it right in where you stop writing you know you got to go take a piss or whatever and the real world seems less real than the world you are writing <laughs> it's the best moment in the world yeah. so like how do you how do you make a jump scare that you know is going to work um I don't know mechanically, like, I don't know. It's not as though I'm thinking I need to put a jump scare here so that people will jump. It's in this moment, you're in this character's head and whatever the, whatever the jumper is, you know, that shape in the mirror behind him or whatever. It's just that, that feels organic. And that's the best part of writing to me is when you just know, um, when it doesn't feel like you're writing, when it feels like you're being dictated to, uh, by the characters in the story and by the world. So it's almost like you're transcribing rather than creatively writing. And I know, like, that's just a feeling, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's all coming from your brain and your consciousness. But when it doesn't feel like that's what's happening, it's pretty goddamn great. <laughs> uh, so you did say you was in a, a writer's block for about five months. So outside of wrestling, what, what other ventures are you working on right now? Like, uh, what, 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 do you, what you got going? I have, I'm working on a project with my man, uh, Spiff TV, who's a hip hop music yeah, video director. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, you know, I love hip hop, so I know Spiff, all, yeah, I watch yeah, Spiff stuff yeah, all Spiff's the time. A, Spiff's a great guy, this is the third project I've done with him. Really? And, uh, it's a, you, 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 you will appreciate this, Chris, it's a, uh, it's a hip hop stoner comedy. Oh, um, sort of, that's awesome. Sort of old school <laughs> I'm tuning in. <laughs> yep. It's sort of old school Cheech and Chong style about this guy, uh, white guy, runs this um, like old school video arcade. And uh, I guess I shouldn't like I shouldn't stooge it off too much. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's um, uh, what's what's the easiest way to say it? it's a fun, it's a fun stoner comedy with a um, keep it kayfabe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't go too much. It's a cape. It's, it's it's a stoner comedy. Um, like we've got some really interesting. Spiff's got some really interesting talent coming in, and I'm kind of writing to them. Okay. Uh, uh, and um, it's fun. Like it's a that's a muscle that I really. I mean, again, 45 year old white dude. Uh, uh, it's a it's a voice that I and a muscle that I don't get to exercise a lot. But I feel like, you know, Spiff digs the fuck out of my work. And if Spiff digs it, uh, I feel like I must be on the right track. Yeah. All right, but that's good. he's really cool. Like, he's a really cool creative guy. He's going to be a big director. In 10 years, everybody's going to know uh, Carlos Suarez. Like, okay. he's okay. going to be... Uh, he's going to be a major comedy director. So it's pretty cool being in on the ground floor with a guy like that. So I'm doing that one. I'm also uh, working on a horror movie for a, for another set of producers that's basically a um, – uh, there's some supernatural elements, but it, it's what amounts to a slasher movie. A bunch of people in the woods getting getting killed one by <laughs> one, um, and and like that's. It sounds like I'm saying that's lame, but they're super fun to write because I grew yeah. up loving those movies. You, and like, I'm more psyched about Halloween than anything else coming out right now. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I'm sorry. Um, I was going to ask, like, writing horror. I see that as such a difficult genre to write because. As we got, has the culture has changed in the eighties. We didn't, you know, things are now exposed. So it's like it's hard to make people scared now. You know, nowadays it's so hard to. So when I watch horror movies now, I'm like, I see very rarely do I see a really good one. You know, where I'm like, that's it makes sense. Um, I, I I can suspend disbelief and I can yeah. buy into their storyline. So how do you tackle that when writing with horror? Because I I've never considered writing horror. 
It's it, uh, it's cell phones have fucking hurt the business. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because because it's something you always have to wrestle with, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, we have such an instant communication culture mm-hmm. um, that you either have to oh you know you at least have to have the scene where the person looks at their phone and they're like oh oh I don't yeah. have signal yeah. whatever. Um, it's tough now because audiences are very smart. Um, they're used to the old bag of tricks, but then. You know, you get stuff, you know, like we're in a wave of really good horror, like from Get Out to It Follows to Hereditary. Um, there's these, this whole group of new voices who took the work of the masters, Carpenter and Craven and uh, Toby Hooper and guys like that, mm. um, and are really taking it to um, taking all of those tropes and moving them to a new, new place. And uh, I steal from them all the time. I steal yeah. from Stephen King all the time. Gotcha. And, you know, you flip those tropes around and, and uh, um, I don't know, how do you scare people in, in when it's a smart audience? You use their expectations against them. I mean, we deal with this in wrestling all the time, Absolutely. right? Like when you expect uh, the baby face to do this, you, you zig or you zag, or sometimes you pay off exactly what the audience wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and by doing that, uh, you give them a satisfying experience. Okay. But, but scaring people is the most fun you can have uh, uh, in just about any genre I've worked in. Speaking of wrestling, um, so you were writing for SmackDown, right? Yep. All right. So how was like how was that experience writing for SmackDown? Started out awesome and ended up uh, 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 ended ended up. Um, you know, Vince McMahon and I didn't get along. <laughs> so for Vince McMahon, we got in a lot of shouting matches. Okay, uh, because our creative, um, our creative visions, I guess, uh, were very different on a number of the things we were, we were doing. Like my, my two main champions were Rey Mysterio and, and King Booker. Okay. And, um, particularly Mm -hmm. in Rey's run, uh, Vince and I just had very, very different interpretations of what we wanted to do. So it got to be, like we were, we would get in shouting matches every day. What do like, you guys want to do? Like, Bruce can tell you stories. Yeah. Uh, uh, Chris, Bruce will tell you stories <laughs> next time you're at uh, you're you're at um, on MMLW taping about me and Vince just like in each other's faces, red faced, yelling and screaming at each other. Um, part of that was my immaturity. Like mm-hmm. it was my first big job in the business, you know, and uh, I thought I knew everything. And uh, didn't uh, still don't know everything like that's a big realization. But um, I mean, it was a great experience in the sense of I mean, you see, like I made more friends in that period of my career uh, that I still have and still work with, you know, court uh, for one uh, court was my right hand. You know, I'm his right hand man now. He was my right hand man back in the day. Then um, the skills I gained there have carried forward through my whole career, like I've, I've worked in mixed martial arts and pro oh. wrestling and combat sports as a whole for more than a decade now, solely based off the two years I worked at WWE. Um, and I have, you know, some of the best relationships and friendships of my life. Oh, gosh. Okay, you're better. Okay, you're where better. should I, do you want to re-rack? Where should I start? Um, you, you were saying um, the, um, the relationships you built 
Um, oh yeah, yeah. relationships I built at WWE are relationships uh, that I've carried for like it was a totally positive experience that I would recommend to everybody. But at, uh, by the time I left, uh, uh, I by the time I gave my notice, mm-hmm. I was fucking ready to get my. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How many look, people are writing? I had writing? an too because I booked a movie. Uh, I booked a script writing gig. Um, in August and turned in my, uh, turned in my notice in September because I was leaving with a safety net. So yeah. it worked out uh, pretty good for me. Well, how, how was it collaborating? How many pe- how many people are in the room when it, in, in that process, in that process for wrestling? And how does that compare to you writing, uh, for television and movies? Like how was the collaborative effort and collaborative writing different from wrestling than any other, uh, than other, uh, fields that you've worked in? Uh, it, very different, like especially having come in as um, especially having come into WWE out of a television background, okay, okay. like the way it operates is totally different, man. Um, but but I had a I had a really good team. Like I started out, I was working under David Lagana, who's currently he and Billy Corgan run the NWA. Okay. Uh, who's a real sharp, creative mind. Um, uh, you know, I had Court on my team. I had uh, our assistant was a guy named John Carl. Um, who's, uh, who now like is a, is a big muckety muck in the video game world. Like, um, who was it? Andrew Goldstein who worked yeah, with us he yeah. was on, he was on team raw, like our team during that period, like a bunch of us have shows on the air of one kind okay. or another, either in wrestling or in, or in other, and other things. So it was like, it was a tumultuous time, but it was a real talented team of people. But in terms of the process itself, like typically what happened, you know, when I was working under Dave is we all came with him for, for we all came to him with our pitches for the week. Um, he'd pick which ones and, and in what way we were going to move forward. Uh, after I was there before too long, I was writing the scripts of the show sort of, it was Dave's vision, but I was, mm-hmm. I was the one writing them. And then Dave moved over to ECW and I got promoted to head writer. Oh, and, cool. um, then I had to be the one who was butting heads with Vince. instead. Of <laughs> how is it working for Vince? Like, I mean, how is his personality, like, you know, working with him, like personally, how is he? Uh, Vince, mm-hmm. um, shrewd, intelligent, dismissive, a total asshole, and a creative genius. Like <laughs> all of these things simultaneously being true, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, he's he's a uh, he. To me, he was a man of great contradictions because okay. some of the the best creative lessons of my life I learned from Vince, and some of the worst habits in terms, especially of of. Uh, personnel management and how to get okay. the best out of people. Some of the worst lessons I ever I ever saw were from Vince. I mean, I guess they were ultimately good lessons because uh, I don't I don't conduct myself that way with the people who work under me. At yeah. least I, Chris will tell you better than I know, yeah. but uh, I don't think I do anyway. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah, working working under you. That's why I'll I'll try to get to wherever we're at. You know what I mean? I'll probably find my way in New York on the fourth. Um, but um, is is working in the business like it's a I see how stressful it is like you know we just did the show War Games um, that's going to be on YouTube tonight six oh five nice plug six oh five p.m. 
but, the super station, uh, the new super station. The new super <laughs> station <laughs> on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> YouTube is, 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 the, is the new super station, like for real. Yep. Of uh, today. Um, um, how is it writing for MLW? What is, is the process? I know the business is different. Court events are definitely kind of different. Uh, but tendencies may be the same of how things are wanted to be done. How is it writing now from then to now for wrestling? Uh, I, I fucking love it. And like at MLW, I, I love it. Um, part of that is uh, court trust me more, okay. you know, instead. So it's, it's, uh, it's a much, uh, there's a, a lot fewer fights. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that, you know, and, and this isn't talking out of school at all. Court and I, it's not that we agree on, on every angle or, or whatever, but, um, and ultimately, this is this is court's vision that I'm executing. Okay. But we're creatively in sync enough because it's not as though we didn't work together during the during you know from 2007 to to last year when okay. we started MLW again. Court and I worked together on half a dozen projects over wow. over that period of cool. time. Like we just have a real good creative colloquy between each other. Um, I and and we I feel like we mitigate our our we mitigate each other's worst. Like, did you guys watch Glow this year? Yeah, I, I watched, watched some of it. Yeah. I didn't see it this year. I uh, saw season one. I saw I saw a little bit of season two. Yes, it in the tenth episode of season two is the first time they do the show within a show. So the okay. presentation of that particular episode is as though you are watching an episode of Glow. Um. That's what, like, left to my own devices, that's what an Alex Greenfield wrestling show would look like. <laughs> like, 70, 80% vignettes and uh-huh. one or two matches. Like, I I'm much more interested. And, I mean, Chris sees it, you know, when I'm working. Like, when I'm out there with Selena and Key or Max and uh, Aria or, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Havoc, Havoc like, yeah. that I love. Like, I would, I would just be making short films all the oh, time. Man. Yeah. Oh, speaking of that, we still have that uh, Darby and uh, Priscilla. I know. I got to get you all of that just to cut it together. We, dude, we shot this. So Darby Allen and Priscilla Kelly, uh, two of our wrestlers, were getting married. They were engaged to be married. Um, and we decided to do the Red Wedding, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a riff on Game of Thrones with oh, Jimmy the Red Wedding. Okay, yes. yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm thinking of uh, Kill Bill, but I saw the yeah, game yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, 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 same, same type of deal. Yeah. And we shot this fucking just wonderful footage. And it ended up just due to contractual concerns or whatever, they ended up not working with us okay, anymore. Okay. And I keep threatening to, to send all the footage to Chris just so he can cut it together. <laughs> but um, um, I got to remember, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll upload all that shit That'd sometime awesome. this weekend. But um, uh, such a great bit, dude. It was so cool. And uh, we never got to air it. It's such a bummer. Oh, like that's the worst part. Like when um, uh, when you get really invested in a talent and they end up leaving. Oh, that's, but that's yeah, true. That's that's yeah. that but it's, a, it's it's cool that you can be uh, and bring your horror um, vernacular and, and style to a wrestling avenue in a certain way and touch on your the same tropes and bring it, and bring it to a new genre and change it. You know, it's it's melding two worlds. You know, For sure. It's, it's one of the things I love most. I was talking to Key about this. Um, I think you might have been there, Chris. Like I, I was talking to, to one of our one of our wrestlers, Low Key. Um, the coolest thing about being a filmmaker uh, in wrestling is there's no genre we can't touch. Like yeah. with Key, what what we're doing by 
intentionally is we're doing early 90s John Woo movies. Like okay. that's the storytelling we're doing there. With Jimmy and those sort of dark supernatural characters, I'm making little horror movies. Um, all of a sudden, we lucked into a couple of our characters just have great on-screen chemistry. Uh, 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 I'm thinking of Key and Selena here. Yeah, okay. We've got fucking romance angles that oh, we're, we're sort of touching on. Like it's so fun um, because – and yeah, they're in two-minute, three-minute, four-minute chunks. Um, but you're making these little beautiful three-act plays – uh, with these extremely like we have such a talented group of like with Shane um, that first six months with Shane I was doing a superhero origin story Shane Strickland one of our wrestlers yeah. like like there's nothing you can't do in the genre I guess of pro wrestling and it's really uh, I tweeted yesterday while while, uh, while we were watching war games like I fucking love working in pro wrestling because mm-hmm. there's nothing you can't do. Budget limitations aside. Yeah, it's like you're relating things on a wrestling scale to things people have previously seen. Because people watch yep. TV, they watch movies, and when they see that and they relate to it, they connect immediately. Yep. That's how I see it. Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely – I yeah. agree. And I think one of one of the ways you connect with an audience is, look, not everybody's going to like a horror movie. Sure. Uh, four minutes later, you're going to be in that John Woo movie. Four minutes after yeah. that, you're going to be in a real, you know, with Tom, with Lawler, like a real good sports fucking hard driving mixed martial arts presentation. Like over the course of one of our shows, like the one airing tonight's a little funny because it's 90 percent a match. Like I think acts two, three, four and five are all uh, a wrestling match. It was just a very long match. Yeah, a long match, yes. Um, but most weeks, uh, you go one act to another. You're going from one genre to another. Like there's something for everyone, and that's what's fun about it. I mean, that is a Vince lesson uh, that Court and and I both took. This is a variety, a new school variety show, okay. and you give uh, a little something to everyone. Like I am not a great comedy director. We got Rob Carpolis though, uh, who's really good at fucking nailing punchlines. Um, mm-hmm. We got, uh, you know, Sean O'Hare, one of our producers, um, worked in mixed martial arts for years. He knows that gritty sports presentation, you know, like we've got a really cool, diverse team of creative artists uh, who can who can knock out anything. And I'm sort of on creative stuff. I'm kind of at, at underneath court, but near the top of the pyramid in terms of figuring out who does what. Like, I feel like there's nothing we can't do that I don't have somebody on my team who I can say, go and uh, uh, go and direct this bit and that it won't come back looking awesome. Yeah, we, we, we experience that a lot when uh, you just grab a cameraman, you grab a, a PA and then you just go with your talent mm-hmm. and yep. put it together like first hand watching it I, that that's what that's another question I was gonna ask um so you're writing you're producing and then you also uh basically edit when you uh catalog the footage you do that for a, how like that has to consume you like how, how does that all work in this in in the with, with it balancing time is mm-hmm. uh <laughs> balancing time is a fucking problem um <laughs> Oh, gosh. So my so like taking it from on the day. So when we get to whether it's Florida or New York or whatever, um, we have a list of of we have what we call a grid, which is what the next block of episodes is going to look like, sort of working backwards from the next month's event 
uh, what happens week one, what's our main event, sort of that that type of layout, um, which always ends up changing because one match works, another match doesn't, you know, it always changes. But we have a pretty clear idea of what we need. So we get into pre-tape day and, and fucking Chris is having to find my form that I leave everywhere, my checklist. Um uh, he comes up and he's like, here's your clipboard. You left it. God, even knows where it's small somewhere. Um, but uh, so we have a full list that Court, me, Sean O'Hare, uh, uh, and the rest of the creative team have all put together that are all of the various out-of-ring elements that we need for the next block of shows. Okay. Um, and then it really is, you know, we divvy them up based on skill set and uh, availability and and that sort of thing. And we we go off and we shoot them and uh, we freaking knock them out of the park. Like this was a really good taping session. How last do you time. find locations? Um, lots mostly in and around fucking hotels or beg, borrow, and stealing from people we know yeah. in the area. I talked to Chris and he told me about the places you find, like the boiler room that you guys would did yep. MVP and Samuel Callahan. In the hotel, like, how do you guys actually manage the hotel to let you guys do that? That's like that boggled my mind because I find I try I try to find locations with bike projects and I just have a hard time doing it. It's I am a charming motherfucker. This <laughs> <laughs> is one of my biggest things I learned from Alex. <laughs> Uh, who will lie, beg, borrow, steal? Uh, I need to uh, learn no, that. You guys are so good at that. I can't. I guess it's a new skill. Some, sometimes it. Sometimes we go straight gorilla. Like we don't okay. ask anyone. But easy, mm-hmm. easier. That's to, me. Uh, I always just try to just gorilla. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Some. Sometimes we go straight gorilla. A lot of times, I can. I can say, you know, all candor and honesty. Oh, we'll put you over on the TV show. Like I'll gild the lily. Like we're the biggest thing in the world, and they'll be like, oh yeah, sure. Um, with hotels, it's usually easy uh, because we rent a ballroom uh, okay. to do our shooting, and that's where we set up our standing set for interviews and okay. stuff like that. Um, and then I'll grab a cameraman, and uh, we'll go somewhere. And it's not that we necessarily have gotten the permission to shoot in the stairwell or on the roof <laughs> or any crazy, you know, stuff we do on the elevators while people are getting on and off. Um, but, you know, where's some wood to knock on? Um, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. You Half of it's charm, half of it's... It comes um, off great, though. Like I, When I watch it, I'm like, you can't tell any like uh, where you are and it looks legit it looks like it's uh, it looks like you guys do have an arena sometimes you know that it's yeah. like all right they have in their own arena this is backstage it looks great yeah because we yep. so on our on our podcast uh our podcast is called reasonable wrestling so we we'll watch raw and we'll watch the product the, the current product and we figure out our best produced worst produced best friend worst friend and one time like we literally saw bobby rue in a broom closet because it was a broom behind yeah. him he was like oh that is so badly produced <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, MLW never has brooms in there. And I'm like, you know. Yeah. So it's, you know, producing is. See, you're jinxing us now. No, 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 no. Court's going to be like, God damn it, what are all these brooms doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as writing, though, how, how does, um, how is that process as far as blocking out, blocking out time, um, as far as like a storyline? Um, like the arc of Shane, I remember the first six months of Shane Strickland. Um, how 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 do you come to that ending to then work backwards? Um, as far as building that super that super um, uh, 
hero persona. Su- superhero persona f- for that character. Oh God, uh, a, a lot of a lot of. Uh, so at the beginning, total happy accident, right? Like I didn't know Shane. Like I knew his work. I'd seen I'd seen matches, but I didn't know him at all before the first time we worked together. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Like it sounds a lot like playing favorites, and I guess sort of from a from a certain perspective, it is right. Like I was just like, "Oh shit!" Um, Super villain Jimmy Havoc and superhero Shane Strickland is a story I want to tell. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it's the same answer that I gave earlier. I don't know how you come up with ideas, but that just like immediately. I think you. one of the first times Chris and I talked, I was like, "This guy's a fucking superhero, right?" Yeah. Uh, uh, hopefully, I can cuss. Um, oh yeah, this yeah, is, yeah, free for him. Um, but, uh, in terms of how that story was told, um, I didn't really have an end point. Like every month, you know, every, every month between tapings, you know, court and I would shoot the shit about, uh, what we wanted to do next time. And then we would do the pre-tapes that, that fit to that. So I never really had an end point, um, in mind, I guess defeat like my big thing was I want to build up Jimmy Havoc into this thing that Shane can't defeat so that when he finally defeats him um he's ready to become the world heavyweight champion and I feel like it played like gangbusters like I feel like I feel like like when Shane beat Matt Riddle um he earned every bit of that victory yeah he because I think he he lost to Jimmy a few times, like in a hardcore match and a tag match with uh, Hennigan as his partner, Hennigan. when Darby jumped off the uh, jumped off the yes, that was fantastic. We never got to air that, did we? That was, oh, that well, was... I mean, it aired on our VOD, you okay, know, okay, because yeah. we weren't on TV yet. We started. I love it. We started our first day of the show was four twenty. That's when we premiered. Yes, that was. Yeah, I got. Uh, I'll never. I'll never let that go. It's the best thing in the world. Uh, a bunch of people were like, "Did you plan this, Alex?" I'm like, "I had nothing to do with it, but I approve wholeheartedly." Um, but uh, no, no, no. So a lot of that story, because the cool thing about the way Court did it is, we really. Um, we worked out a lot of the kinks in the production and storytelling process during that period. I mean, there are things that were a bummer. Like I wish I loved that Santana, um, Priscilla program and never, never got to finish it. That's my biggest, uh, that's my biggest bummer. Um, but like once we started on TV, it's really arcing out. Like I, so we have these grids. When I get back, um, the first thing that I do is I go through all our footage, and I basically I'm just the footage logger. I'm acting like an assistant editor, right? Um, just so that we have a roadmap of everything that that was shot. Um, and then using the grids, um, I do a first draft of the show, send it to Court and some other guys on the team for their notes. Uh, and then I, I, I do the final draft of the show and, and work with Sean and Sean O'Hare is one of our producers, the co-exec producer and, uh, Leo Artajo, who is our wonderful fucking maestro of an editor. He's based out in California. And, um, and then we just do the episodes one at a time. And the whole purpose of like all of the stuff that we shoot on the, on the crazy production days, um, is we're telling these stories, you know? The one thing about wrestling is we know the ending of every story is going to end in the ring. But beyond that, mm-hmm. um, we we get to – it's only, you know what it's most analogous to to me is telenovela, uh, okay. the sort of so Latin-style dramas yeah. Yeah. Um, where – I'm waving goodbye. Goodbye, wife. 
<laughs> She's like, I've had enough of listening to your bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I've got to go to work. <laughs> She's out. She's like, I'm done with this. Um, bye. Love you. Um, sorry. No, no, so, no, no. So, so we, you know, there's a little piece here. Like, like in this week's episode, there is a, um, there's just this little pre-tape. It's the one we shot in the hall. Was Key and Selena come in, and there are all these reporters. Oh yes, and then, yes, yes. You know, in a way, they they rub up with a certain other talent who Loki has never fought before. Mm-hmm. You know, you drop these little breadcrumbs yeah. along the path. And then they build and they snowball and they become an avalanche. And then you get to the to the meat of the story. Uh, what's what's fun about every week's TV is you're at different points in all of these different stories. Um, so we're near the end of of the story of, of Shane Strickland and Sammy Callahan. We're coming up to war games. We're at the we're at the final act of this. But even as we're coming to this final act, we're dropping all these breadcrumbs to start all of these other stories. So it's just it's always a juggling act of of where you are in the different tales. And that's why I try and arc them out in advance so that I know at least for the next month. And it's hard, you know, just given the realities of indie wrestling, it's hard to know beyond two months or so yeah. uh, like what each story beat is going to be but I try to give representations you know to the top to the to the main stories in every episode and then smaller stories like uh, like Jason Cade and Jimmy Yuta yeah okay Pop in one beat here, and then a couple of weeks later, another beat here, and then one interferes in another guy's match. So you keep these things. You keep some things on a simmer, to use a cooking metaphor, Mm -hmm. and some things you bring all the way up to that big boil where it's all boiling Mm -hmm. over. And some things you're just dropping in a little spice here and a little spice there just to – just to intrigue the audience because they'll let you know if they want to see something like I I have a suspicion after six Oh five tonight, a lot of people are going to be making a certain request. Uh, and that's good because I've, I've stoked their, uh, I've stoked their fire a little bit. I think that's, that's one of my, one of my, um, my peak. I know the, the, my, my peak in life is very low, but one of my peaks (laughs) is to, to be, a creative to to tell those stories like everybody has these you know armchair bookings and whatnot but like i really am intrigued with telling a story when it comes to these characters because you you can you like you say you, you can be so diverse with them you know yeah, absolutely and, and um to see that to to see that actually take place um, it's really good. It's, it's fun to see well, and to be a part of. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still a business. It's you still know? a business. And I was wondering, how do you, how do you, but, ba- hello? Yeah. You hear me? No, no, no. I'm, yeah. I'm back. I froze for two seconds. Oh yeah. I was just saying at the end of the day, it's still a business. So I was wondering, how do you balance the business? Cause you said like you have indie stars, you may or may not be there. And then you have, uh, things that you're trying to push certain people as well as your own creative vision. So when they clash, sometimes they don't meet in the same space. Like, I would love to do this, but I really can't do this right now with the way the business is right now. So, like, how do you manage that balance? Um, again, it's sort of half of it's playing favorites and half of it's business realities, right? Mm-hmm. You will uh, – and Chris certainly knows. Like, I greedily um, – 
very greedily keep my own talent. And it's not that they're mine in any real sense, but it's the people I like working with. Of course. Um, who I also know are going to be there uh, long enough for me to tell the more big, complicated stories. Okay. Um, and, you know, sometimes we just put on matches, uh, which, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're ostensibly a fighting league, right? Yeah. So so just having a good fight is is its own reward. Um, and those people don't necessarily get as many as much storyline stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to be as careful as I can that if I'm making a major creative investment um, with my mind into something that I'll be able to pay it off. And thus far, that's worked out pretty well, like with Havoc and Shane and Key and Selena and like my core group of, of interesting characters. Um, it's pretty damn fun um i i know the people who will be around long enough for me to uh to to make the kind of investment to tell a long-term story and sometimes short stories are fine i I mean it's you know go back to stephen king right there's the stand which is a monster 1200 page book and then there's night shift which is a bunch of short stories you know 10 12 15 pages long some sometimes and sometimes you learn like Remember, you know, Coda Brazil was a walk-on for us. Okay. They, there's an old thing in wrestling that you always bring your gear in your bag. That's where Coda started with us. And what started off as a walk-on has become a year-long story that I anticipate being a much longer story of this guy really coming yeah. to the full and yeah, really getting incredible. over. Uh, because he's just... He's he's a remarkable. He's the best underdog in wrestling for my money right now, uh-huh. and um, he gets better every time, and he gets more comfortable in the camera and in front of the camera every time, um, and and is becoming a better and better wrestler. Um, and there's that's a long term story that we're in already, and it sort of took all of us by surprise that he just. I mean, you like. At Battle Riot, when he came out, like he's not very well known uh, um, either as Kodo or as Snoop on in New York. Man, you know people are watching and that they care because that audience blew up when he walked through the curtain, and that's like one of the most gratifying experiences of this run in MLW so for good. me. Okay, and, and also he had a good performance at War Games, so he showcased. He won the match. Show- like he appeared exactly. to win that match. It was great. It was a huge moment. Can't wait to see it. <laughs> uh, so, um, so when, so basically, when when you are in this element, the sacrifice between art and business, you kind of already go into it knowing that that that's going to happen. Yeah, but I mean that's true in filmmaking too. I mean, Lord knows, uh, uh, I've had. Man, I've been I've I've been close to the big brass ring, right? You know, you talk about the brass ring. I had a series set up at Fox that didn't end up going. Uh, I had a big movie at New Line that was uh, this close to getting set up, and then they fired the head of the company, oh, and man. everything just fell apart. Like, you know, it's this business. Uh, uh, um, it, this business Murphy's lot is like Murphy's super lot. <laughs> Murphy's super it really lot. is. <laughs> um, because if it can go wrong, it will. But boy, when it goes right, there's no better business to be in in the mm. world. But, you know, there's things you can't plan for. Like, especially in wrestling, there are injuries. Mm. And, uh, you know, a certain company that can come calling and make your talent disappear mm-hmm. disappear on the quick and you can't even get mad at him because the level of, of difference in money um uh wwe sure did take real good care of me yeah. uh, you, know, yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's just a reality of the business, but it's a reality in, in narrative television. It's a reality, a reality in reality television. It's a reality in film. Um, it's, it's, I mean, you know, you can have the best idea in the world for one of your projects, uh, and you don't get anywhere finding the location you need and it doesn't end up looking as good as you hoped it Mm -hmm. would or that you'd see it in your head. Um, I mean, that's, I feel like that's just a reality of working in the entertainment business, not just in wrestling exclusively. So what advice, uh, this is our last question. We'll kind of get you out of here. What advice would you give to like young creators right now? Um, that's pinning things that's trying to get through, trying to have, trying to see their vision through. Um, what, what advice do you have for pretty much me? (laughs) (laughs) Anybody get, get out and shoot stuff like that. Really? Like my first, last and always, um, it's, uh, and look, I'm, I will not dog fan fiction in the sense that, um, uh, like one of the, when I first moved out to LA in 1998, um, uh, I got a job with a company, uh, and the only writing I did for probably three years was writing coverage. That is reading screenplays and basically writing book reports okay. on them. Yeah. I didn't do any creative writing at all. And, uh, when X-Men came out, I was super duper fucking into it. And I wrote this X-Men Hellraiser crossover. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> um, that broke the logjam. Like, like it was incredibly valuable to me. Uh, like I, I don't piss on it at all, but that shit's never going to get made. Um, write a short, shoot it, write another short, shoot that. Like you're building relationships with a bunch of talent who live in your area, fucking hit up talent and say, hey, I'm shooting this short. Uh, It'll be a one day shoot. I'll buy you pizza. Mm -hmm. I'll buy you beer. Uh, Come be in my movie. Um, Take advantage of every single thing you can take advantage of um, to get your stuff out there because there's we have a wheat from chaff problem in the sense of anybody can put anything up on YouTube. But the bonus of that is anybody can put anything up on YouTube. Back when I was in college, there was no market for my short films that I made in school. Like it didn't exist. If you didn't get into Sundance or God, I don't even know if South by Southwest had started at that point. Maybe it had, I don't know. Mm. But like, if you didn't get into two or three festivals, no one was ever going to see your shit. Um, you have the opportunity now through Vimeo and YouTube and all of these places. A short film is not going to make you rich, but how many stories have we seen about a filmmaker who goes and makes a really good short and that shit blows up? And um, there's this great woman named uh, – a director out of Kansas City named Jill – and I'm going to butcher her last name. I think it's Gevergizian. Like it's a uh, – a difficult to pronounce last name, Jill, Jill, Jill G. Mm-hmm. But she did this wonderful short film called The Stylist, okay. uh, a horror movie of uh, the seven, ten minutes long, something like that. Just wonderful. And her career is starting to blow up. Like that's, uh, I feel like if you want to step into that world, I mean, it's what Spiff's doing too. Uh, like Spiff's music videos are. Are short films. Are short films. Yeah, they're short like, films. Such a cinematic yes. eye for everything he does, and um, like that's that's how you that's how you break in now. And I believe me, I'm a I, the, dude. I wish I was twenty years younger for a whole lot of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 the hairline being <laughs> most among them. 
But um, I wish I was 25 years old right now because equipment, high quality equipment has never been less expensive. Like barriers of entry have never been lower. And if you're a talented filmmaker, just a raw talented filmmaker, getting out there and writing and directing shit, um, that's how you're going to end up writing your ticket. Like mm-hmm. it's I've, I feel like film school has never been less valuable, um, only in the sense of – like it's great that you have access to all of this equipment, but nowadays the equipment itself isn't that expensive. Um, you save up for a few weeks, you get a fucking four CCD camera. You're shooting full 1080. Like you don't need to shoot. And you can rent too. And you can rent too. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, that's yeah, why we can, that's why we stopped going to full cell. He stopped and I yeah, didn't I go. Yeah, I stopped going to full cell. Yeah. And I didn't go at all. So I, I think that you're right. I think that the avenue for filmmakers right now is really just being a creator and getting out there and just saying, you know what, do it. You know, and that's why yeah. we're trying to just get out there, write our web series, and just do it. Uh, that day when we shot our first episode, I was so elated because I've been in a while since I filmed uh, something I wrote. So yeah. um, it's a it's it's a it's a great feeling, even when you know that hey, this is a passion project that may not go anywhere. It, it may it may not, but at the same time, as a creator, you gotta push yourself to because yeah. um, you can be you can be stuck on the script. Be your own worst critic, yeah. but but never stop working. Like yeah. it's all about the work. It's all about because eventually. Uh, like for me, it happened in 2004, but eventually you're not doing the day job anymore. Um, and you're just, and there are those months and they still happen to me now. There are those months where you're like, Oh my God, I got more bills than I got coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately like it's easy. And I had the dreams just like anybody else of the walking the red carpets and the Oscar acceptance and all of that. And I'd still love all of that shit to happen. Obviously. Um, I, I wouldn't turn it down, but you know what? I get to make a living entertaining people and doing pretty much what I want to do. And that's like, that's a pretty awesome place to be, you know? It's the dream. Living that's the dream. The dream. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, the- I don't know if it's living the best life. I don't know if it quite qualifies <laughs> for that meme, but it is it is living the yeah. dream of 90% of the work I do is sitting on my couch uh, daydreaming and getting paid for it. And that's a pretty good place to be. And I think the I think the best way to get there now is to get your vision out there because there's there's 330 million people in this country, and somebody's vision, somebody is going to be taken with your vision. Uh, and hopefully, it's eventually it's somebody who can cut you a check. You know what's funny? You said you get, um, you get paid to daydream in a uh, in elementary school. Uh, they would call my mom. And call my dad and say you're sent as daydreaming. I'll get in trouble for daydreaming. You know, <laughs> so to think that you can get paid for daydreaming is just—it literally is like a fantasy for me. You know, <laughs> it, it, that it, I I got the same dude. If I had a dollar for every time someone said you're not fulfilling your potential, mm. um, I would be very wealthy right now. <laughs> pretty much every you know, I was a DNF student in in high school. I dropped out two weeks after my 16th birthday. Um, um, I was a miserable student, and I ended up I ended up going to college and did pretty well because it was on my time and on my terms. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who fit into the system and those who don't, and I feel like creative people more often than not don't fit into the sort of systematized box yeah. uh, that society wants to put you in. Man, Alex, we thank you so much. We took up an hour of your time. Thank but it you was so a much. Fantastic yeah. interview. Absolutely.
Appreciate um, we're it. gonna um, we're gonna chop this up and edit it, and uh, we'll probably post it on our at the end of our episode on Thursday. So uh, I'll tag you. Brent, a- definitely, definitely hit me up, and I'll tweet it. And uh, well, I'll tweet it. There's nothing really much else I can yeah, do. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, 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 all, that's all we need. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Alex. And um, hey, um, thank you, thank you again for um, also bringing me on. Uh, I had a fantastic time at Fort Lauderdale. Uh, it was a great experience and uh, always going to bat for me. That's that's definitely big for me, for someone. This is – I've been Man, here. Like, like the thing is I am a selfish sociopath of a human being, <laughs> and if I didn't take a huge amount of value for all the work you do for us, I wouldn't be doing it. Like, <laughs> like you make my life so much easier, and you pick it up quick, dude. Like, uh, uh, it's it's totally... I put you over because it's totally selfish because it helps me. And <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Take care, guys. Yes, sir. Enjoy the rest of your day. Right on. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And there you have it, folks. Uh, our interview we just had with Alex Greenfield, writer and producer and editor for MLW Major League Wrestling. Make sure you guys uh, check out them and subscribe on YouTube every 6.05 Saturday night. If you can't catch them Friday night on BN Sports, it's on YouTube, MLW Major League Wrestling. We'll get back to your music shortly, but first, did you know that prescription prices are different at different pharmacies? You could literally drive across the street and get a different price. That's crazy. But with GoodRx, you can instantly compare prices at every pharmacy in your neighborhood and save up to 80%. You're probably thinking there's a catch, right? Nope. It's 100% free and can save you money whether you have insurance or not. In fact, it can often beat your copay. Download the GoodRx app today and start saving. GoodRx is not insurance.